Hi, and welcome to Women at Warp, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Join us as our crew of four women Star Trek fans boldly go on our bi-weekly mission to explore our favorite franchise. My name is Sue, and thanks for tuning in. With me today are Jara. Hello. And Grace. Hey, everybody. And today we are going to be taking a listener request and talk about Susie Plaxen. Woo! Da-da-da! Of course, four roles in Star Trek, Dr. Salar, Kalar, uh, the female Q, and Tara from Enterprise. So that'll be a lot of fun. But before we get into our main topic, we have a little bit of housekeeping to do, as usual. Our show is entirely supported by our patrons on Patreon. If you'd like to become a patron, you can do so for as little as $1 per month and get some awesome rewards, from thanks on social media up to some silly watch-along commentaries. Most recently, we watched The Game. Oh, you've got to be a good sport to watch the game. (laughs) (laughs) So if you'd like to join us over at Patreon, you can do so by visiting patreon.com slash women at warp. You can also support us by leaving a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, this weekend, if you're listening to this on the release date or shortly thereafter, is Star Trek Las Vegas. Viva Las Vegas! I have a panel on Thursday afternoon, Grace has a panel on Friday afternoon, and on Saturday there will be a Roddenberry Podcast Network panel. In addition to um, our table in the vendors area, we'll be near the Roddenberry booth again. So uh, come say hi if you're at Star Trek Las Vegas, and we hope to see you there. Please do. We like knowing that you exist in the real world and not on the imagin- in our imagination or on the internet. And of course, we're recording a little bit early of the release date, so double check the schedule to make sure none of those... Uh, None of that information has changed. Yeah, no con schedule is ever set in stone. Absolutely. And speaking of cons, if you are in New York in mid-August, I will be at FlameCon. And if you're in Atlanta over Labor Day weekend, I will also be at DragonCon. So it is con season for myself. Hopefully you're not feeling the wrath of cons. (laughs) (laughs) That'll be after New York Comic Con in October. I'm sure, yes. (laughs) All right. So let's talk about Susie Plaxen. Yes, let's. Jared, do you want to give a short bio? Sure. Uh, Susie Plaxen was born June 3rd, 1958 uh, <laughs> in uh, Buffalo, New York, um, the birthplace of many an amazing thing, like Buffalo Wings. Did Is that where Buffalo Wings came from? I don't yes. know. That's where the buffalo yeah. earned its wings. Susie Plaxen is an American actress, singer, writer, and artist. Uh, she grew up in Pennsylvania and went to college at Northwestern University. She began her career on the stage in theater performances. Um, of course, in addition to the Star Trek roles that we're going to be talking about, um, she's played a wide range of characters on TV, including uh, the hard-bitten sports writer Meg Tynan in the sitcom Love and War. Um, but more, probably more memorable for people of our generation. She did several voices on dinosaurs, um, as well as had a recurring a role in Mad About You and one in Everybody Loves Raymond. She's also been in some, uh, some movies as well. Well, let's not forget her doing a dead on Minnesota accent on How I Met Your Mother. Ah, uh, <laughs> yes. Um, as a singer-songwriter, Plaxen just recently released the alternative country rock album, Didn't Want to Do It, 
And she also sculpts and writes. Samples of both are viewable and readable on her website, suzyplaxon.com. And I highly recommend checking it out because uh, there is a lot of really, I mean, my view, pretty cool writing there. I, I'm a, a fan of her style. Yeah, and she often ha- uh, sometimes has her sculptures for sale at conventions. Neat. Check them out if you get a chance. So let's start with Dr. Salar, who seems to be referenced all the time, <laughs> but only appears in one episode, and that's the season two episode, The Schizoid Man. So I watched this, I rewatched this one again today, and I think this is one that... And you had some opinions, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, I, I did not. This is one that I have not rewatched a lot, and then I was like, oh, I remember why. Although, um... Basic okay, so the the thing is that I'll start by saying is that Susie Plaxon is by and far the highlight of this episode. Um Doc- Which speaks very much to the fact that not much is happening in this because it's a pretty standard Vulcan character. Yeah, and actually when she got the role, like she wasn't really familiar with Star Trek or Vulcans. And her brother was a big fan, so she took it kind of to make her brother happy and he was like, "Oh no, Vulcans don't like smile like that. Vulcans don't do that." When she was reading her lines to him. Um, mm-hmm. but I think it's the look that she gives. Mm. It's not quite a smize, but it definitely is some communication with her eyes that she does very well that's very Vulcan. It's like the Vulcan shade look. <laughs> That she just kind of yeah. gets instinctively. Like, she puts her head down and her eyes up a little bit, and it's like this sort of penetrating stare. It's like an eye sneer. It's like an, a sneer that's yeah. all in the eyes. Or just a, <laughs> yeah, self-contained reaction. But all within the eye area. Yeah. So, I mean, one thing that was cool that she said about her audition for this was she had been called in because the casting director, uh, June Lowry, um, or Lowry, saw her in a solo show and invited her to audition to play a doctor. And Susie Plaxon said in an interview with StarTrek.com, I go in and I'm so amazed and heartened by the fact that there are all different ages and races of women auditioning to play this doctor, which you just didn't see and still don't see. I thought, fantastic, that's so cool. And I got cast. Then I got a call from my agent saying, they want you to come in next week and get measured for your ears, which is not something you generally hear when you've auditioned to play any guest spot. (laughs) I said, what's up with that? And that's how I found out I was playing a Vulcan. Hell of a way to find out, right? I love that. (laughs) Yeah. I love the fact that you have to get measured, that your ears need measuring. There isn't like a one size fits all earpiece. Well, I remember reading in um, Leonard Nimoy's book, I Am Spock, about the early ears they had for him and how they really fit poorly and looked really terrible. And that um, he had a prosthetics person who was like, no, we need to measure you and make these properly. And it made a huge difference. And I mean, having tried on those like plastic generic ears that sort of cover the whole ear that you can buy um, like through licensed merch. Uh, those don't work very well. So I can see how having something that's more like close to your actual size of ear is probably a good idea. I've always thought that was why Vulcans kept pieces of their hair in front of their ears was to like cover that line. Yep. Well, that's what <laughs> I do when I'm wearing the prosthetics because I don't really, <laughs> I, it's hard to blend things at the side of your head. Like I can't see that even with mirrors <laughs> very well. So I just like, I put the hair over it. Vulcans are also masters at contouring, <laughs> I guess. Um, but when we first meet her in this episode, um, it's cool because Pulaski is off doing something else really important and is like... Pulaski is off doing something. We don't know what. 
as per usual. <laughs> it's like curing some a bunch of sick people. And yeah, there's uh, like a whole ship that a ship full of something. sick people. She's got a lawn darts tournament, and so she's like, "Send Doctor Silar, Lieutenant Silar has my full confidence." And she says this like three times that like she's super awesome, Doctor. So that's already like a strong vote of confidence, which is pretty cool. Um, backup doctor has a backup doctor. Especially when, like, the mission is to make sure that this genius scientist isn't dying. And Picard actually says, um, you must protect his health at all costs. So they're putting a lot on her shoulders. Mm-hmm. Mm. And then the, uh, they go down to the planet and genius scientist dude is like, I'm a genius. I hate doctors. They're pretty much not people. And <laughs> Troy goes, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I think doctors are people, and Silar... You heard it here first, folks. Doctors are people, too. <laughs> oh, it gets better. Yeah, and then he's like, well, you know, patients wouldn't uh, all agree with that. Ha ha ha. Um, you know, kind of funny. But then he's like, but um, at least, basically, at least for a doctor, she's hot. Like, it's like at least she's a good-looking woman. Yeah. And, jeez, uh, with freaking wheeze. Yeah, jeez. I know. And uh, and then he goes... What a charming person. Yeah, no kidding, right? Um, I hope he lives forever. For a doctor, you're not a bad-looking woman. Well, well, well. He looks at Troy. What have we got here? Another fine specimen of womanhood. Oh, wow. <sighs> and then, as if that weren't enough, because, like, their mission is just to save this dude because he's a genius... Uh, very stable genius. And- because genius <laughs> excuses all other shitty behavior. If there's one thing we know for sure, it's that. He's definitely a very stable genius. <laughs> then Troy's like, but women are people too. And he's like, women are people. Women are women. And kisses her hand. And she's just like, ha ha ha. And it's <sighs> like, it's basically me too in space. <laughs> so TOS. It yeah. is so TOS. It is. Uncomfortably so. Yeah. And, uh, and like, he's also, like, romanticizing his young assistant, which shows up in another few episodes of TOS and TNG with, like, these mm-hmm. older scientists who are, like, in love with younger women. Oh, gosh, golly, that sounds like an uncomfortable work environment. Yeah. And then, you know, instead of, you know, maybe viewing him with a degree of caution because he's clearly has no respect for women, at least. They're like, yeah, how about you hang out alone with Data, who's another, like, other character. (laughs) Data, who's a young and impressionable robot. (laughs) And they're like, we totally trust this guy. He's a genius. Starfleet said so. And uh, Troy's like, oh, he's totally in love with you, assistant. And the assistant's like, oh, if only I was older, I could totally see that happening. And he's known her since she was a little girl. And it's... Ah, no. Yeah. It's super creepy. But... Oh, no. Dr. Solar's cool. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. She also gets a cool thing later where, like, Picard's trying to figure out what's going on with Data, because gross scientist puts himself in Data's head. And, Mm -hmm. uh... Uh, he asks, like, Dr. Solar what you thought about this guy, who also, by the way, named his planet after himself. Yep. What a douchey move. He just kind of M. Bison this whole thing? Have a planet named after himself? Name the currency after himself? Wear a funny hat? Totally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was your Street Fighter reference there. Mm-hmm. I thought you meant that it would, like, be a hat that would be embroidered and say, make Gravesland great again. Um, but <laughs> well, that's even more horrifying. 
Anyway, <laughs> um, I may be stretching the analogy here somewhat, but uh, he uh, Picard calls Silar uh, and Troy, and and Cilar is like, oh, he was brilliant, arrogant, and chauvinistic, and everyone's mm-hmm. like, oh yeah. Sounds like how Data's acting right now. Maybe we should have caught on when he started leering at crew members' asses. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, but I like, I like Cilar. I think, like, she does, Susie Plaxton does Vulcan really well, and it would have been cool to have her on more. It sure felt like they could have, because they really do reference her all the time. Yeah, they always are, like, calling her to sick bay and stuff. <laughs> They want to have that character, you know, continue in the show. Just they don't want to pay Susie Plaxton again, I guess. But they paid her plenty more times. They just don't want you to recognize they're using the same actress over and over again. Which they, is weird because for the most part, she doesn't have a lot of makeup on. No. no. They uh, they sent her home with the ears the first time and they didn't want to pay to have new ears made. Hmm, maybe. <laughs> she did like Liv Tyler and accidentally left them in the in the in the car and they melted well her next character on her return to star trek um i think is the one that most people would recognize her for maybe the most popular one and that is the role of kalar poor dead kalar (laughs) (sighs) of course we talked about kalar in our uh klingle ladies episode (laughs) all the klingle ladies uh but we're gonna do it again (laughs) Yes. Uh, Kalar, Kalar is pretty great. I think it's interesting to put her up against Worf when he's, you know, the full Klingon who was raised by humans but cares so much about Klingon tradition and honor and whatever. And she just DGAF. Like, <laughs> she don't give a what? Yeah. Um, as far as Klingonness goes. Definitely anyway, right. when we asked our social media followers which character was their favorite, um, the Kalar showed up a lot. And uh, everybody loves Kalar. People were like, yay, a Klingon one without a boob window. I mean, we love the boob window, but I also like the option to not have a boob window. Mm-hmm. The real boob window was in her attitude. <laughs> but, <laughs> I don't even know what that means, but I it, love it. That's, it's the attitude that goes like, I don't bite. No, that's wrong. I do bite. <laughs> I mean, and Susie Plaxen points out that, you know, part of the reason, you know, fans come up to her and like, oh, you're my favorite Klingon woman. And she's like, well, partly that's because I wasn't a good Klingon woman. Like I was, uh, I was half human and I just didn't have time for all that stuff. It is pretty great to have um, anytime you have a, uh, I want to say a culture that isn't totally fleshed out or keeps getting fleshed out in different directions kind of inconsistently to have a character come in and say, guys, this is ridiculous. And I love that it's Kalar who we get to have play that role of just being like, yeah, Klingons, they're they're a little, they're, they're wacky, definitely. And I like that she gets that bonding moment with Troy where they bond over being like half race aliens and feeling sort of, like, not able to fit, and Troy's counseling her on that basis, and it's kind of cool. And that's in the yeah. the emissary of the first episode with her, where she shows up, and she's gonna do all the diplomacy, and then she gets in on with Worf. <laughs> like and then you do. she gets fridged. Yeah, and then yeah. that's in the next episode. Yeah, oh, sorry. So I jumped ahead. short saga. Um, I mean, before that, she, like, spars with Worf on the holodeck, because that's the height of, mm-hmm. of foreplay. It's um, a very sexual sparring. 
And she's also like, no, I don't want to marry you. Like, what do you think this is? We each have stuff to do. Yeah. And I kind of... Which is cool, because you don't get to see women turn down a lot of proposals on TV. Yeah, and, like, I don't feel like, even despite her ending, I don't feel like she's shamed for having slept with him or anything. No. Or for turning him down. She just doesn't want that out of life right now. Mm -hmm. No, the perceived shame is that she has a relationship with somebody who's been dishonored in the Empire. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Not whatever they've done together. Mm -hmm. Or uh, rather, that they've... It's not that there was (laughs) sex, it's who the sex was with. Yes. Yeah, but I still feel like at the time, it was still a bit of a challenging narrative to have... Um, you know, a woman go and have sex for pleasure with a man. Like, I mean, clearly they do love each other to a degree, but, um, you know, doesn't want to commit to, how, like, settling down with him. Has a right. kid. Doesn't. And let's be real. Who would settle down with Worf? At least at this point in his arc. And, like, has a kid and raises it by herself for, like, at least a few years. Um, and uh, that that was still, like, not super, super acceptable. Mm-hmm. Was it more acceptable because they're Klingon and not human? Maybe. Like, I mean, to the general audience. I'd like to think that we'd be at a point in the future where, you know, we've gotten rid of all these illnesses and people are no longer weird and judgy about having children out of wedlock. Yeah. I, I would can, hope we'd reach that point. I can see yep. being, like, a little judgy about not telling Worf, given that I don't think that there was, like, a danger or any other type of factor that would be, like, really threatening about telling him. But yeah, um, but the whole having a kid thing, and clearly she's, I don't know, she just exudes, like, capability and confidence, and I feel mm-hmm. like she was probably an awesome mom. Maybe we should have called her Capablar. <laughs> Wow. Uh, I mean, clearly she had more parental skills than Worf. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well. Well, that's not hard, is it? (laughs) I mean, he's not exactly an A-plus parent. The first thing he does is say, I'm going to send you to my parents, bye! I know you just suffered an incredible loss, but really, I can't deal with that right now. So you're going to Earth. Yeah. Bye! (laughs) <laughs> we had a fun comment from Kennedy, our friend Storm Tribble from Black Tribble's podcast, uh, who said, through this character, I saw strength, humor, and resilience. Also, seeing a tall woman on TV not afraid to be tall at a young age was extremely important to me. And uh, Susie Plaxon on her website talks a bit about how um, being tall um, made acting make her uh, acting made her feel right at home because she felt like super out of place in the world and then she figured that like being on stage you got to be larger than life mm-hmm. and she got to feel more at home in her own body because of that that is definitely how she rolls as a performer also she is very much about being a large presence in the room mm-hmm. so the, her height is definitely an asset to her in that sense yeah like one of her biggest influences she talks about is the show upstairs downstairs oh yeah so coming from that like british um dramatic comedy sort of tradition um like having watched that a lot and being influenced by that you can see how she um brings that kind of energy to some of these characters i think that also speaks to the power of things like drama therapy Mm -hmm. where like 
helping, which helps you learn empathy, but can also help you be more comfortable with yourself by exploring what it is to, to act with the intentions of another person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. But they killed her because Michael Dorn thought that they needed something to make Worf feel something. Worf can feel his own shit. God. <laughs> um. Well, they also brought her back and she said, well, I was wrong. I do want to marry you. Mm-hmm. Uh, That's a little bogus. Uh, yeah. yeah, so then, like, it makes it harder for him, I guess. And then uh-huh. also, I feel like that, I don't know, that kind of undermines her a bit. Like, oh, right, I, exactly. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it would be one thing if she was like, hey, we have this kid now and we should both be involved raising him. And then let's see where this goes. But but uh, Elizabeth J. on our Facebook said, uh, they had to kill her or that woman would have been running the Empire before they knew it. <laughs> this kind of joking, not like actually they had to kill her. But yeah, that was what they must have thought. Cause not she, no, though. Yes, not no. <laughs> I also love at the end of the emissary where her and Worf are in like the full Klingon gear masquerading as old Klingons. Like on the bridge for the time traveler, or so that the time traveling people don't know what's going on. Doing their Klingon uh, LARPing. Yes. Their Klingle so War great. reenactment. So great. I just love that scene. It's great. <sighs> yeah. She's awesome. All right. Should we move on to our next character? We shall. That would be Lady Q or the female Q or just Q. On Voyagers, the Q and the Gray. Q, Q in it, the letter Q, but in a girly font. <laughs> uh, yeah. Girly Q, girly Q, that's it. Girly Q, ha <laughs> ha Yeah, because I mean, if you say male Q, there's like several examples. But when you say Lady Q, there's Amanda, who has another name, and mm-hmm. her. Um, yeah, and this is in the exciting episode of Voyager, the Q and the Gray. We say exciting the same way a pap smear is exciting. <sighs> that you can't stop thinking about how you're about to sit through it. Like the schizoid man, I think Susie Plaxton is also the best part of this episode. Oh, for you sure. You totally tell she's having a blast playing this character. Yeah. At Star Trek Las Vegas 2014, she said it was her favorite role. She said, I really thought that it was sort of like Oscar Wilde meets Bewitched, and I loved that I got to play that kind of arch-aristocratic bored immortal. Oh my god, can you imagine if she played Andorra? How amazing that would be. <laughs> my absolute Dude. favorite bit is her scene with Bolana. <laughs> when she says, you know, I've always liked Klingon females. You have so much spunk. Yes. <laughs> I mean, and she's basically Meta. talking to the second generation of her previous character. Yeah. You know, it's great. So she's the, like, I mean, Amanda is a lady Q, but she definitely is not on equal footing with John Delancey Q. I think this is the first time we see a woman Q who is, like, that level of power in the continuum. But I feel like, overall, if you just, like, take a step back and look at it, it it kind of undermines her that she is basically his Mm ex-girlfriend who is trying to stop him from screwing up partly because she still kind of cares about him and then ends up having a baby with him at the end. 
Yeah, for a for a multi-dimensional omnipotent being, she does play into a lot of tropes. Yeah, she's but... the character is, you know, sarcastic and quirky and smart, but her whole motivation throughout the episode is that she's a jilted jealous ex. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, like she doesn't seem to have any other reason for doing what she's doing. Like she's there because she knows him and at the end of the day, she's persuaded by his plan, and that involves, like, them having a baby together. Lowercase Q. After he spent, like, the whole episode weirdly trying to seduce Janeway. Yeah, that's not fun to watch. I'm also, like, weirded out by the Civil War allegory here. Yeah, I mean... Because, like, his Q was the John Delancey Q was the supposed leader of this breakaway bunch that is fighting for individuality, right? Mm. Which we should see yep. as a good thing, and yet they're, the in, in this analogy, they're the Confederacy. That's uncomfortable. And, right. And are when are the, they? I thought they were the North. No, they're in gray. They're the South. Get it, oh. Q and in Jane the gray. Janeway's a Southern yeah. Belle, and yeah. And oh, and that's why Janeway is a Southern Belle. Okay, right. yes. <laughs> so I know you're Canadian. Yeah. I know. <laughs> then like, but then the Voyager crew shows up and they're in Union uniforms. And I guess you Guys, don't want to put no. the Voyager crew in the Confederate uniforms, but like it makes the whole thing kind of uncomfortable. Yes, yes, well, it does. to me. <laughs> I mean, I th- I think, like, so she, Lady Q is supposed to be on the continuum side, which would be the North in this case, I guess, because Q, John Delancey Q, is, like, rebelling against the government and trying to support, um, a la Quinn, Qs who want to end their own lives and mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah. And also, like, maybe Qs that want racial diversity and the continuum. <laughs> Qs then that- why would you go with the South? Right, this is what I'm saying. It makes no sense. Yeah. Yeah, no, that... There was not... not nope, um, someone did not think that is also That's through. just super, super uncomfortable. And, um, like, if Lady Q is with the North, then that's why they're in those uniforms. And then the, when they had a baby, it, like, brought the two sides together. I mean, I guess... I mean, I, I understand the choice of, like, the Q continuum is having a civil war. How yeah. are Americans going to understand this? By using the civil war. It just brings it back war. to that weird whole thing of, like, we've got all of history and the universe to choose from. But we're going to keep going back to U.S. Right. history. There are other civil wars. But not that Americans will I know, understand. but that just makes, it comes across as so <laughs> right? obvious, though. Well, and, and. So on the surface, the choices make a lot of sense. Like you've got the them Delancey's Q people seceding, and they're fighting, and they want to bring them back. And Lady Q's on on the side of the 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 old school continuum, right? So like that, fine. I get what you're trying to do, but there's so much added to it <laughs> when you get there's into a lot of baggage like, with this equating. Episode. Yeah, equ- equating something with the Confederacy 
is gonna raise more questions than it answers i think is what i'm trying and to would say know all this shit yeah, and then, like, this whole thing is having, in like, galactic ramifications, because when they, you know, fire off a musket in the continuum, it, like, destroys a planet somewhere in the real universe. Mm-hmm. Also, if the Q are so bored, why did they stop trying kids? There's... Because cer- certainly Q2 is yeah. quite a handful. I feel like maybe if you'd kept having kids, you would have an easier time dealing with that yourself. Yeah, they act like it's a totally new thing, but we... No, we really don't, <laughs> if yeah. they're anything like them. <laughs> they act like procreation is a totally new thing, but yet we do have that example yeah. in Amanda. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Amanda, like, the novelty wore off pretty quick, I'm gathering. They were I... like, oh, this is so exciting and rejuvenating to the continuum. Like, ten years later, she's just like, I'm bored. Snap my finger, destroy a planet. And they're like, okay, yeah, we're back to what we were Yep, before. she's one of us, all right. Um, And then, like, certainly, I guess the cooling off time is is enough, because Q2 does not seem to, even with the firm guiding hand of Auntie Kathy... Seem like he's really going to bring a lot new and exciting to the continuum. He's probably just going to yeah. hang out in deep space creating wormholes with his buddies or something. Yeah. So it's going to be he and he's just going to like go find Echeb and bring him back and be like, hey, you want to come hang out with me now? And then they'll just sit on a planet somewhere and make people's clothes fall off. He's going to be that rich kid whose dad bought him a condo out on the beach and just hangs out there smoking weed all day. Yeah, pretty much. But in deep space with omnipotence. Yeah, so that's so that's the other thing is then it's like sort of uh I guess implied that Lady Q is just like I've had enough of this kid and just bails and then like Q's stuck with well, the kid you. by himself. Yeah, she's it's kind of sad to think of her as a deadbeat mom. Just getting back at Worf. Oof. Oof. Doesn't make any sense. Um, no, not a lot. Kayla was a Q lot. all along. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. What do you want to bet that there is a fanfic that connects all of these characters? If not, then I want someone to make it so. Because I feel like that's something the universe needs. I can promise you there are multiple fics connecting all of the Jeffrey Coombs characters, so this is only fair, really. Nice. I mean, I don't think it's that hard to put a Lady Q in any of the other characters' stories. I just don't know how you bring in the Enterprise character. I do like this note that um, we have from Susie Plaxton about Lady Q, and that the one thing she disliked about that episode was the outfit that they have her wearing the civil during the Civil War bits. Yeah. And... Uh, that quote there is, I thought that the Q would have done some very, would not have done the very modest lace collar they had her in. I was like, no, that Q would have had some plunging neckline, Scarlett O'Hara kind of thing. She would have never been that demure. And she's absolutely right. I yeah. guess they just really wanted that old school Civil War visuals more than they wanted uh, the actual characterization and that. I think it would have been way more funny if she came in with like. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Or just have her straight up wearing a Scarlett O'Hara outfit, like have her roll in wearing the curtain dress and be like, "Yeah, I don't, I don't give a crap about American history. I just, I, I saw the movie. That's about it." Or the Carol Burnett curtain dress. <laughs> yeah, Sorry, guys, I got confused. <laughs> She's like, "I saw the skit. I think I got the gist of it, though." She does have kind of like a Carol Burnett sense about Absolutely, her. Absolutely, right? yeah. 
Yeah. Just like she's having so much fun and just owning these parts. Honestly, I came here to attack people and I'm having such a good time. Yeah, even when she's on Voyager, like helping them figure out how to get into the continuum and dealing with everything that's going on. She seems as snarky as she's being. She seems to be enjoying herself. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what are you doing with that dog? Well, and Voyager I'm not sounds. Talking about the puppy. <laughs> Voyager sounds like a nice place to visit, so why not? Wouldn't want to stick around there, though. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's funny. I also, I mean, I guess, okay, so I'm just revisiting this character again, and with the whole. The other thing is. Like Q, it, she gets sort of a bit of, like, she she gets a bit of comeuppance from the Voyager crew that she can't really solve the problem herself, and she hasn't really spent enough time around humans to understand her own limitations, mm-hmm. and yeah, like, how you can't just magic everything. Um, but uh, I just wish... I don't know, more time to shine or less of the rest of the episode. That's kind of a running theme that we have with all the Susie Plaxon episodes, isn't it? Would be better with more Susie Plaxon. Please. And I think after this one, we've only got one Susie Plaxon episode left. Well, it's been a long road. Getting from the top of the list. Getting from from Salar to Q. (laughs) (laughs) Enterprises, I can't do it. No. (laughs) Back away. It's okay. It's okay to call it quits. (laughs) I should have prepared. Um, Our last character is Tara in the Enterprise episode Ceasefire. Which is such a fun episode, and I love that we get to have Susie Plaxon with all of her... What am I trying to say? All the personality and energy that she puts into a character, especially with her different personalizations of uh, alien characters, it's so fun to see her get to do Andorian. It really is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this is a very different character for her. It's like she's pretty much a straight up villain. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> um, a bad guy, at yeah. least. Um, she's 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 not on our side. Mm-hmm. Um, she's but... sort of second in command uh, to Shran. Yeah. Yeah. And um, we talked about her in, I think, Baddest Women in the Universe Part 2 yes. um, of our second part of our Women Villains episode. Um, but it occurred to me that she, I mean, she kind of mirrors, we see this type of character a fair amount in Star Trek, and it's kind of, it's an, an important character. It's a Trek archetype. Type of, yeah, of like the, um, you know, when two people are coming together to make peace, there's, there's always people who want that peace not to happen. Yes. And she would be like the General Chang or the um, Admiral Cartwright, uh, maybe more accurately, like the person who's trying to sabotage peace behind the scenes. I think you mean sabotage. Sabotage. Sabo. <laughs> but yeah, I think that... Um... Especially with Shran as an established character, the two of them have a really good uh, melodramatic chemistry with both uh, her and Coombs' performances, which is just really fun to watch. Because if you're going to be a bright blue alien with antenna, you gotta have a little melodrama. (laughs) Otherwise, what's even the point? Sabotage no longer works. 
she has to resort to kicking Archer in the face. Well, we've all wanted to do it. Well, no, yeah, we're not really in the face, but she does at one point, like, sort of swing herself from a bar and kick him two feet in the stomach, and that was my favorite part. <laughs> Watching Archer get gut punched. <laughs> it was just the way that it happened. And It is cool to see her in action. Gi- yeah. Gi- if you have a giant, tall lady actress, you gotta let her do something badass at some point. And it took her, it took long enough to let her do that since Kalar. Yeah, I also, okay, this is, I should have known this, but I didn't know that they had, like, puppeteers for the antenna. I thought, yep. like, it was, comp- uh, like, I, I I guess it was, what was it, like, robotic? They were mechanical, so okay. she had to, she had to have this rig on her head and just hear them going, when they yeah. moved around. Okay, yeah, so, I mean, I sort of did understand that, but she actually, like, talked about the, the person Putting that into the characterization, yeah. As, as a puppeteer, and how yeah. that was, like, they had to work together, and she thought it would be super distracting, but once you got into it, you just were like, this is my antenna, and they're doing stuff! Like, it's super, like, it just felt like part of the character. <laughs> yeah. And working that um, annoyance from the loud noise and hearing them go, like, uh, into the character and being like, okay, as an Andorian, I am aware of things differently in a way that a human isn't. And that's just my antenna picking up stuff going around. It would have been cool if they had built her up as a character before Ceasefire a bit. Like, that would have made it. Yeah, that would have been cool. Yeah. Well, and with the frequency with which we see Shran in the yeah. future of Enterprise, it would have been great if she came along too. Yeah, I think that they like they didn't super have a plan for those minor characters. I think if they had, you know, taken some more time and planned out the uh the like episodes a bit better in advance, then they could have like sowed those seeds earlier on. Maybe if they'd mapped out the road, it wouldn't have been such a long road getting from there to here. <laughs> Character wise. Too many detours, man. <laughs> oh well. But um but it's cool and I like um her scenes with Shran and you know uh being annoyed with to Paul and things and she's just like, you know, basically I don't trust Vulcans you know, you can't trust them. Any type of ceasefire is a betrayal of our people. So having seen Susie Plaxon play a different type of alien in every appearance on Star Trek, what's a type that you would like to see her play? You know, I think, I feel like she got asked this at a convention I was at, of like, would you like to play like a different alien or something? And I can't honestly remember what she said. Um, hmm, I don't know, Sue, do you have any thoughts on that? The first thing that came to mind was Romulan. Mm-hmm. Ooh, yeah. And I think that takes that... It, it, I think feel like that would sort of combine Salar and Tara. Mm-hmm. In a way. Sela. I want to see her as a giant... Not Sela, though. No, it's just like... No. Put the names together. I want to see her play a giant, like, scary... Ferengi lady. Yeah, she'd be a funny Maybe Ferengi. she can be Moogie's body oh my. person. Yes. The bouncer on the way in to see her. I, I think she could really kick butt at a, a Ferengi role. She and, definitely has the comedy chops. Oh, it would definitely be fun to see her wear those teeth also. Maybe she could be, like, Pell's friend. Yeah. She can be Pell's publisher. Yes. romance novels <laughs> uh not to start because it's first a guy to start but then once the frangie feminist revolution happens she takes over 
the publishing company. If it's anything like the um, English suffragette movement, she can be like the lady who was teaching everyone judo and self-defense for rallies. Hmm. If she was going to be in Discovery, what kind of role would you want her to uh, see her? Oh, interesting. It'd be really cool to see her play a Discovery Klingon. Just to see how that would go. Let Uh, her be a straight-up Starfleet Admiral. Yeah. Yeah. Do it. Yeah. Uh, She could be Tilly's mom. (laughs) Oh, no. I wouldn't want to see her be mean to Tilly, though. She's got the hair. Oh, I kind of love that, though. Mean Susie Plaxon would be so scary. But we could just see her, like, separately. Like, not, she don't have to see her directly being mean. And maybe she learns through the episode that she's wrong. She could play a Kelpian. That would be interesting. She has the height? She does. She wouldn't need the platforms. (laughs) That's a lot of uh, prosthetic makeup, though, so yeah, I, uh, I feel like there's a reason they only do it with people who are very experienced. Yeah. But real quick, yeah, uh, we did have a listener comment from Chris about Tara. He said she was a villain, not at all likable, but wonderfully acted. She did a lot, along with Shran, to carve out the Andorian pre-Federation stereotype. So by that, um, did you you think it means um, like what the Federation thinks of the Andorians? Yeah, or at least the basis for what for what the culture was yeah. before yeah. creating the Federation. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, they uh, even like Shran obviously is a lot more uh, reasonable, pr- pragmatic, uh, and Comparison, uh, yeah. But uh, they both have the same sort of general pugilistic tendencies. <laughs> pugilistic. <laughs> They're a pugilistic bunch. <laughs> um, I don't know what other traits would you consider to be important in Go those Go to two. Andor for the snow, stay like, for the pugilism. <laughs> like, they're sly, they're crafty, I guess. Um they really like Niving. quality leather goods. <laughs> Good taste in leather. <laughs> uh, don't mind kicking Archer in the stomach now and then. Actually, I get a lot of Cardassian vibes from the Enterprise Andorians. Uh, yeah, yeah, I can see that. Like, kind of, not really aggressive, but like... They will stir the pot. <clears throat> and very politically motivated. Yeah. Machiavellian, kind of. Yes. Yeah. There, I think, like, a lot of the difference has to do not with just, just with the aesthetics, but with, like, the way that the uniforms for the Cardassians force the Cardassians to be, like, super upright, and mm. the Andorians are just, like, a lot more mammalian feeling, and, like, their movements are more like humans, so... Mm-hmm. Or, but I guess they have the sort of insectoid-type antennae, so... They they feel different for that reason, but I like when I think of the Cardassians, I think of Cardassians as being like more uptight than Andorians. Yeah, definitely. Right? Yeah. I mean, maybe she could play an Andorian on Discovery. That could that could also be interesting. Yes. I don't know what they would I'm do. Just though. Excited to see more aliens in general on there. Yeah. Um, Orion. She could play. Oh my gosh, she could be like the great big Orion madam. 
Yes. She already has the red hair. Like she crime has- crime mama Susan Claxton. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't know that I want them to revisit the retconning of slave girls again. Um as we talked about in our Orion women episode, it didn't go that well the first time. Uh no. but uh, you know, maybe just like a passing part that we don't really have to think too much about the yeah. Or something, yeah. yeah. I mean, we already saw some Orions in the in the end of the last season. We're just saying we've had her in this many series chronologically so far. It only makes sense to bring her again. For sure. So that she can get that fifth stamp on her character card. Yes. We're also working at photoshopping her into some Deep Space Nine. <laughs> <laughs> or just headcanoning her into the Fer- Ferengi world of Deep Space Nine. If we can dream it, we can do <laughs> it. We got a comment also from Sarah Jane who wrote... I think all of her roles have been a great take-no-shit character. Wait, no. Words. I think all of her roles have been great take-no-shit characters that still retain their feminine identity without edging over into too many action girl tropes. Yeah, definitely. We we see them actually being interesting, proactive women characters without being the stereotypical, quote-unquote, strong like, Yeah, the action characters. Barbie yeah. or the, like, fighting yeah. F toy. Um, like, Tara yeah. is the most fighty. Um, Kalar has some of it, but it's, it's like part of her Klingonness and part of her just like general suppressed anger instead of being like an action character per se. Mm-hmm. The character, uh, the personality and the drive always comes before that fighting, uh, aspect of the character. They're though. also all highly intelligent. Yes. Yep. There is, uh, none of them... Like, Sealar is the only one that doesn't really influence the plot, but all the other ones are pretty key. Yeah. Susie Plaxton seems like a cool lady. Yeah. And again, uh, if you want to check out more of what she's working on now, you can listen to some of her singing or look at photos of her sculptures or read some of her writing or mm-hmm. see more about the acting that she's done on her website, susieplaxton.com. So I think that about wraps it up for us today. It's a little bit of a shorter one. That's but only because they haven't given her enough That's okay. Um, yeah. I agree. You think she's all over all of Star Trek, yeah. but she's only been in five episodes. <laughs> Bananas. <laughs> anyway. Uh, Grace, where can people find you on the interwebs? You can find me on Twitter at BoneCrusherJank and in the doorways of your mind. And Jara? You can find me on Twitter at J-A-R-R-A-H Penguin or in Data's Brain. And I'm Sue. You can find me on Twitter at Speltor. That's S-P-A-L-T-O-R. If you'd like to reach out to the show, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Women at Warp at womenatwarp.com for show notes and blog posts or by emailing crew at womenatwarp.com. And if you are going to be in Las Vegas this weekend, you can find Grace and myself at Star Trek Las Vegas. Yeah, hit us up! And for more from the Roddenberry Podcast Network, visit podcast.roddenberry.com. Thanks so much for joining us. The Roddenberry Podcast Network podcast.roddenberry.com